This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Season 4, Episode 8. If we knew then what we know now about COVID-19. As we mark the six months into the pandemic, it seems like an opportune moment to take stock of what we got right, what we got wrong, and how we proceed. We had heard of pandemics before the onset of the coronavirus, but the concept seemed far away, very foreign, far away in terms of time and, ex- and associated with exotic, underdeveloped lands. While the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918 was referenced in health history, or perhaps a grandparent spoke of it, most Americans in the 21st century had never experienced a pandemic, and as such, it was not perceived as a real and present threat. Bill Gates, for instance, the billionaire founder of Microsoft, often tried to sound the alarm and raise Americans' consciousness, but to no avail. He has earmarked a large part of his multi-billion dollar fortune to combating disease throughout the world, and in particular, preparing the world for coming pandemics. The pandemic was seen as a remote and exotic threat that didn't bear thinking about, somewhat akin to America's naive view of terrorism before September 11, 2001. As a nation, we were largely untouched by mass terrorism, unlike Israel, for instance, or Britain in the 1980s. Terrorism was not something that America had to deal with at home. So we never took it terribly seriously because we never quite experienced it. Then, the terrorist attacks of September 11th happened. Four planes were hijacked. The World Trade Center was destroyed. And the Pentagon attacked. At the same time, domestic travel, air travel, was turned on its head. We were never quite the same again after September 11th, and our daily life still bears the scars of that fateful day. Similarly, with the coronavirus and COVID-19, our way of life has been turned on its head. Unlike 9-11, There is not one single date seared into the national consciousness or any dramatic video of passenger jets crashing into the Twin Towers. No, COVID-19 did not begin with a dramatic bang on a specific date. It insidiously lulled us into a false sense of security as it treacherously unfolded throughout the months of March and April. First, New York with its mounting death tolls. There were daily White House briefings. Confusing advice was given on masks and medicines. Then there was a big dose of of political finger pointing from both sides of the aisle. But all the time, we were waiting for a vaccine and antiviral treatments 
which still remains beyond our reach. The economy and schools are seem to be taking two steps forward and one step back. And it seems that a summer resurgence of the virus in Florida, Texas, Arizona, and California peaked in late July, and now it seems to be dissipating again. However, we've been warned that our traditional flu season, which begins in late October, early November, will be compounded and could, will be compounded by the presence of COVID-19 in our midst with regular seasonal flu. Of course, today, the political conventions have jumped on the COVID-19 bandwagon, heaping blame or claiming victory in the fight against the virus. But a return to normal life still eludes us, and in all likelihood, a return to normal life is six months or more likely 12 months out in the future. And that, of course, all depends on a successful vaccine being discovered, commercialized, distributed, and for people to have the confidence to actually use the vaccine, avail themselves of the vaccine, and antivirals. Did it have to be this way? Of course not. It didn't have to be like this. Like most wars, or in this case, a warlike situation, lots of mistakes were made. In today's podcast, we'll highlight a couple of key areas which could have made a critical difference to the outcome of the disease and perhaps could have reduced the death toll. As in any war, the concept of the fog of war reigned supreme in the early days of America's COVID-19 fight. Karl von Clausewitz, the German strategist, coined the term the fog of war as a metaphor for war's ambiguities. Once a battle begins, in the case of the COVID-19, the battle began in February 2020, information that is tactically relevant can become confusing and even distorted. Because of the difficulty of seeing patterns in the midst of fog, separating the signal from the noise, for example, tactical leaders must be allowed to act independently. Sun Tzu, the Chinese tactician, recognized the importance of spontaneous decision-making in warlike situations. And with the coronavirus, a lot of our early assumptions have flip-flopped. For instance, confusion with regard to masks, and that confusion still reigns. At this point, the science seems to be fairly clear that if both parties wear a mask, both the person who has COVID-19, the person who doesn't have COVID-19, both parties are wearing the mask, the likelihood of transmission from the infected person to the uninfected person is very low. It's approximately 
1%. That appears to be the science. However, the U.S. Center for Disease Control initially said that mask leakage meant that a mask wouldn't protect you from the virus. However, the Center for Disease Control subsequently reversed that position and has now strongly endorsed the wearing of masks, especially in crowded places or places where people may raise their voices. But again, initially they took the position that mask leakage rendered masks ineffective and not helpful in preventing the transmission of the virus. That unfortunately was a wrong piece of information and many people were infected as a result of not wearing masks. Again, the CDC has seen the error of its ways and has reversed its position. Even the Annals of Internal Medicine, a prestigious medical magazine, has retracted its initial position that masks were ineffective. And that initial position was due to a st statistical error. How many tens of thousands of people were infected with COVID-19 due to this confusion simply on masks? Now, of course, we wear them everywhere. They're often mandated by law throughout the United States. And if you're sick, a mask can help you not to infect others. So that battle seems to have been won. But again, there was a lot of confusion, at least initially. And another area is China. On the one hand, the administration shut down flights from China at the end of January. And San Francisco had seven daily nonstops coming in from China. And as we recall, during March and April, California had a very low incidence of COVID-19. Without question, the virus did emerge in Wuhan, China. In fact, back in February, the only way that you could get a COVID-19 test was if you had recently traveled to China or had been in contact with someone that you knew who had been infected and had traveled to China. However, a new University of California, San Francisco genetic analysis of the virus reveals that California's COVID-19 viral lineage was quite diverse. And it not only came from China, but it came from Europe, of course, from China originally, but on the East Coast, Many of those COVID-19 infections came from travelers from Europe. And there were there's even strain of U.S. domestic COVID-19 that has developed and morphed here in the United States. So University of San Francisco, in doing the genetic analysis on the virus, has found that, yes, it originated in China, but depending on the part of the country that you're in on the East Coast, much of that COVID-19 infection came via Europe. And as I said, 
We even have some U.S. domestic strains. And COVID-19 has turned out to be less deadly than we thought. Obviously, that's good news. Early on, death rates varied widely by geography. And again, coming back to the concept of the fog of war, um, each country was doing its own thing and putting its statistics together and in trying to determine who was actually dying from COVID-19, who was dying from underlying illnesses, so on and so forth. So there's another example of the fog of war that affected the reporting of COVID-19 statistics. To give you some example, early on, South Korea reported a 2% fatality rate for COVID-19. The United States reported 4.3% and Italy reported 13%. So the numbers were all over the place in terms of geography. Our numbers, certainly here in the United States, were just not reliable. With more numbers emerging, the Center for Disease Control has revised its estimate of the death rate downward. The current U.S. death rate ranges from 0.2% to 1%, with a best estimate of 0.4%. However, that is four times higher than the seasonal flu rate of 0.1%. That's the death rate for seasonal flu, 0.1%. So, on the one hand, the revision by the CDC of the death rate in the United States has shown that the disease isn't quite as bad as we thought it was initially, but it's still four times higher the death rate than seasonal flu. But death rates for some, especially vulnerable elders, are very high as well as those with underlying conditions. Another misconception uh, was that the virus spread very quickly. It doesn't. It spreads more slowly than we thought. Initial estimates put, put it at two to four people being infected by one person with the virus. Los Alamos National Lab actually put it put the infection rate at 5.7 people being infected by one person who was infected however again now that we've had now that we're 6 months into the pandemic our experts have now revised down the transmission rate so they're saying that one infected person can infect up to 0. 0.95 other people. So less than so it's a less than one to one transmission rate. Now of course those improved transmission rates are reflective of behaviors that we've all come to accept, such as wearing masks, socially distancing, avoiding crowded places, and we're seeing the good results in the much reduced transmission rates to less than one, one person being infected by one person who has the infection, as opposed to upwards of four in the early calculations of those transmission numbers. It's not, however, 
COVID-19, you have to remember, it's not just a respiratory disease. It can attack other parts of the body, other organs, and it may even cause strokes as a result of blood clots. So that is also something that we've learned that we, we need to be continually vigilant about. Children are not completely safe also. We've got to keep that in mind. While children in California represent 22.5% of our population, they only represent 5.7% of COVID-19 cases. That's the good news. And another piece of good news with kids is that when they get COVID-19, their illness is actually milder than it is with adults. Uh, there are some rare complications which have occurred in kids which obviously are cause for concern, but they're very rare. So in conclusion, as with the fog of war in a battle context, in COVID-19, a similar uncertainty prevailed initially in the fog of war of battling COVID-19. We've learned a lot for sure. And as a result of what we've learned over the last six months, We've changed behaviors. We see transmission rates coming down, which is the good news. And doubtless, some of today's certainties that we believe are combating COVID-19 will likely be retracted and changed tomorrow. But six months in, we are at least establishing behavior modification that seems to work. And six to 12 months from now is how much longer we will doubtless have to live with this pandemic. But at least it seems that the fog of war is beginning to lift. My sources for today's podcast include the Center for Disease Control, University of California, San Francisco, and the San Jose Mercury News. This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, signing off from San Francisco, America's favorite city.